Hi! Welcome to episode 129 of Papa PhD. Today, I'll be bringing you my interview with international rockstar photographer, dadpreneur and coach, Matthias Hombauer. During our conversation, Matthias shares his experience in graduate school and shares how he dealt with the growing feeling that his future was not in research. Namely, we talk about how deep introspection and a strong focus on his mental health were instrumental in helping him find his career path. I had no clue. Uh, I had no clue about meditation. I had no clue about, you know, self-awareness. So what I did is uh, uh, I went to psychotherapy. I wouldn't say this was like the solution for everything because it was like psychotherapy. It's like they're asking questions and you're sitting there and you're telling a story to some stranger which feels somehow comfortable uh, and that it's very good. And, and in the end, I've, I think what helped the most is, this was funny, because this was a, a woman and she had a ball of, of stones in there. And she said, pick 10 stones and uh, tell me who they are. So they need to be like people that are important for you. And so I picked, picked these 10 stones and I said, yeah, that's my mom, that's my dad, my grandma, my friends, blah, blah, blah. And so I did the 10 and then she said, yeah, but someone is missing. And I was thinking, and I was thinking, how should you know? I mean, come on, that's, that's hocus pocus or something. And then she said, yeah, you are missing. And I was, exactly. I mean, I, I tended to kind of give up myself in relationships and everything, right? Uh, and then this was always... The, the same thing and so I thought okay maybe I'm the most important one not in an egoistic way but like if I'm not working properly how can I give love or how can I be of service Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Hi everyone, welcome to this new format of Papa PhD. Season 3 has started and uh, the season I I'm, you know, setting things up as I go. Uh, I have all, all the details aren't aren't set up yet. I'm not used to the new system yet, but the idea is that I'm going to uh, have these interviews happen live. Uh, you'll be able to ask, to listen in and ask your questions on whichever platform you are. And uh, if we can, we're going to pick up uh, your question and answer it uh, and uh, with the participation of the guests. Uh, so this is new. I hope there's not going to be any uh, technical issues today. Um, I tried my best to prepare everything uh, Matthias Hombauer is already uh, in the in the green room, let's say, uh, waiting to come on the stage. I want to uh, I want to thank uh, uh, everyone for these first two years of Papa PhD, which have been great. And I hope you're going to stick with us uh, for this, this this third chapter of the adventure of Papa PhD. So welcome to this live taping again. Uh, bear with us if there's any technical hiccups that happen. It's my first live like this that I'm that I'm doing for you guys. So, yeah, without further ado, I'm going to bring to the stage this week's guest. And uh, so Matthias Hombauer has a PhD uh, in molecular biology. 
but he decided to follow his passions to become an international rock star photographer for Usher, for example, the prodigy Iggy Pop. And um, when his daughter was born, he wanted to spend as much time as possible with her and built the largest concert photography community worldwide from his bedroom. Now having two kids, a wonderful wife, and uh, leaving his dream, he wants to help you to live a passionate life. Welcome to welcome to Papa PhD, Matthias. It's it's totally my pleasure. Uh, I'm super happy to have you here. Uh, there's a there's a funny thing that you know uh, people can see on your cap. You are the dadpreneur. And and I am Papa PhD. So it's, right. there's some commonality there, although although not not really. But uh, it's it's interesting to have Papa PhD and the dadpreneur on the same it's show. It's similar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matthias, so I, I introduced you fairly quickly. Uh, PhD, and then you swerved to do uh, to do something else. Right. Uh, you know, pop star photography uh, or rock star photography, actually. Then community building. Is there something else you want to add to what I said to kind of introduce yourself a little bit better to the audience? Um, no, I think that's that's it. So it has been a, a roller coaster ride for me in the last like ten years, from PhD to um, starting from scratch with a uh, photography business and then building an online business with with selling online courses as a passive income stream to be or to have more time with my family and now. We talked uh, before we reco recorded this COVID hit, and uh, the music business is dead. So I'm um, reinventing myself as as coach and mentor uh, to help mm -hmm. people to live their passionate life. But I'm sure we have plenty of time to talk hmm. about all these things. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that about that for sure. Uh, but okay, so I'm going to start with with one question: What's a dadpreneur? Yeah, good question. So the cool thing is if you Google dadpreneur, just uh, a handful of guys worldwide came up. And so I positioned myself already in number, I like one, two, three in the search uh, engine okay. because no one is, is using this term. So I figured out that there are thousands of mompreneurs out there, right? So mompreneur mm -hmm. is a mom who has uh, her own business. And I thought, what am I exactly? So like I'm a dad and I have an... Uh, I'm an entrepreneur, and so maybe dadpreneur is a catchy word that I can use to to market myself. It's like the same with rock star photographer, which yeah. is like a, a music photographer, but no one terms himself or herself rock star photographer. So um, I'm, I'm kind of drawn into catchy keywords. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks like you you like to be in a in a niche of some sort, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um so because we're on Papa PhD I th I think we we need to to go back to your PhD sure. years which kind of ended you say 10 years it's more or less when I when I finished also. Um so but um yeah I'm curious uh so maybe you can go a little just quickly on what the PhD mm -hmm. was 
I've I've heard and I, I know I've seen uh, what you share on, especially on LinkedIn, that it, there must have been some uh, some hard moments during the PhD, <laughs> if not a lot of them. Right. Uh, maybe we can we can go into that sure. a little bit sure. and 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 kind of tell the backstory of the dadpreneur and what you do today. Sure, sure. Yeah, so everything started like when I was was 19 years old after civil service and I wanted to study biology, especially microbiology, but I figured out that I couldn't get access to university because from my former uh, school education, uh, I didn't uh, had biology as a, uh, like a, what it's called, like I, I, it, it was, yeah, as an option, it wasn't, wasn't taught like in, in the school that I was in. So I I would have to do a big test on biology. And so I skipped it because I wasn't, aware, I was afraid I, I couldn't do it. And so I did another school, which was like for three years. It was more like being in the hospital and taking blood samples and stuff. Okay. It's, it's called medical technical assistant. And after these three years, when I finished it, um, my professor uh, said, uh, why won't you do like studying molecular biology because uh, you like it, you're clever, uh, just go for it. And so I decided mm. to go to university. I studied like five and a half years. Everything was cool. I really loved it. Um, I went to San Diego uh, to the Salk Institute, one of the most prestigious institutes for, for biology for two months and did an internship there. I went to Hamburg for six weeks and everything was cool. I finished my, my diploma thesis. I was up and running for an academic career. Um, yeah, and then I started my PhD thesis like in 2008, I guess, yeah, in the same lab as I did um, my master thesis. And so I thought, okay, it's the same lab. I know the people, I know the projects. But somehow it turned out to be a little bit more complex and probably you already know it or you know it and also your listeners mm. who are PhDs. Doing a PhD is kind of hard and challenging, <laughs> at, <laughs> at least in biology. I don't know how it's, it's in, in different fields, but what I have experienced is that most likely, you know, after three or four years, all the PhD students around me were like frustrated and mm -hmm. everyone was working on projects that were not working out. Then there were some issues with payment. You know, the PI didn't get any, any money because they, they were not funded uh, properly so they had to work for free and stuff and so it, it was like it didn't feel right for me and mm. i was on a project uh yeah which which took me like four years and then uh just some some minor uh yeah results came out and so i was really frustrated and so i, I start started to think like two years in my phd thesis is this really the life that i want to live mm. is this like, do I want to be a postdoc somewhere in, in the US, you know, and working for 70, 80 hours and then probably do a second postdoc and then being like, and know, a third. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. A third or like then, then you're in the middle of your thirties or so or forties even. And then what should you do? Right. I don't want to mm -hmm. become a PI or a group leader. And so somehow my body already told me you might find something different but i had no clue and mm -hmm. honestly saying the last two years of my phd were the hardest ones because not only because of the projects but also because i was kind of lost i didn't know what to do 
every morning uh, I woke up and I was asking myself, what should I do? Is this really the right thing? And it took me like two years um, to figure it out somehow. So what I did is I, coincidentally, I started to, to pick up a camera and started like photographing, you know, landscapes and flowers and mm. some portraits. Um, and then there was one story and um, this might sound esoteric, but this is how it, how it really was. So I was cycling with my bike to work and all of a sudden a voice inside my head said, why are you not going to become a concert photographer? And this was weird because I never thought of it. <laughs> I, I never had an idea that this is actually a profession, but what I figured out afterwards is that it, it was my intuition telling me music is one, a big, big part of my life. I was, you know, playing in, in a death metal band when I was 13 years old with such long hair. And uh, I went, <laughs> and went to a lot of concerts. Uh, so music was an, was an important part. And then this passion of photography kind of started to emerge. And so somehow my subconsciousness and my intuition told me, hey, why not combining those two? And so this is what happened. I uh, arrived at work. I Googled concert photography and there were one guy in the US who had a blog, Toto Young, and uh, I was hooked and I thought, okay, that's it. Let's do it. And from there on, um, it took me like, as I said, two years to, to figure it out how to become a concert photographer. Um, yeah, that's the story. So, okay. So now this is, is it's interesting. You you feel you talk a lot about feeling and about uh, your body telling you you know things are this is not my place right. uh, and then telling you oh this is this is something I can thrive in and, and I found that find that very interesting and we and I do want to talk about it a, a little bit later sure. because I also uh, know if in other conversations that we had that you also do meditation and I think this this um, and I find myself very interesting this question of being in touch with your with your feelings with your emotions mm -hmm. but also with your body sensations and with the the moment the with the now right, right. being but uh, we can maybe talk about this later sure. I I really wanna I really wanna ask uh, this question which is During your PhD, um, was there any, were you aware, did you get any, like, let's say, emails from the PhD program or from the department uh, offering you career preparation, career readiness training? Uh, Because you, it seems to, to me, and tell me if I'm right, that you were totally at a loss when you finished. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there was not really a program when I started out because I mean, th there were different ways to, to go about it. So I started at the kind of main university and then there was the medical university and uh, the medical university guys had a, a fixed program, you know, they had to do some journal clubs and all this stuff. We also did it in the lab, but for me, it was like, I, I was working in the lab. I had some, some people who helped me out like postdocs, but there weren't, were not really like a, a support team around me, I would say. What mm -hmm. I had though is, and I was lucky that I got it. It was um, a, a fellowship stipend from the Sharing Stiftung from Berlin, which is also okay. a prestigious one. So, you know, once you get it and you have your PhD, at least they say all the doors are open for the academic career because you've got this fellowship. Okay. So this 
made it even harder for me to say, okay, guys, thanks for the money for four years, but, <laughs> but <laughs> not with yeah. me. Uh, the, un unfortunately, this wasn't any any issue for them. Uh, they, they just bet on the on the wrong person, I guess. Uh, yeah, but but it was like more, you know, <laughs> figuring it out for yourself in 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 the PhD program. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a numbers game for them, right? right. They have this, this many stipends to give. And even like, I don't believe that if that everyone that gets the stipend has a, a spot in the end in academia. But uh, first, I've had conversations like this because I also received, was lucky enough to be in a PhD program from Portugal where mm -hmm. I got a stipend from the, from the, 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 the Portuguese Foundation for Science, uh, but also ended up not you know not following up in academia and research and i did have a, a little bit of guilt kind of like what i feel that you might <laughs> feel <laughs> yeah. yourself right. but the thing to, to remember is you did work these four years and in my case it was six years on this project and that in my case and i i don't know about you we can talk about that later on like five years later and then six years later there was two papers that came out right almost directly from what i did so in a way you know that investment uh was not you know uh, not I, i think it's sad i think that it's sad that people you know you me or other people that are listening might be feeling guilty about mm. this i think it's an opportunity you take it you you know you grow up uh, tell me but I, i i grew up during the phd Definitely. and um And you know, you if you're dedicated to it and do the best you can, well, then you did. You did. Um, how can I say? Uh, uh, you respected that trust that was put in you. But then nothing obliges you at the end to to say, okay, no, I, this is what I want to be. If your gut is telling you that you don't, <laughs> exactly. Then the cool thing was after I finished my PhD and became a photographer. Uh, the the next year, I guess, then after finishing my PhD, uh, the the fellowship. Uh, guys did a, like a meeting, a meetup from mm -hmm. every alumni. And I was there and I was taking photos and I was charging for taking photos. So it was cool as well. <laughs> That's so, so funny. I mean, uh, everything's good with them. No, as you said, uh, I, I don't think you need to feel guilty. It's like, yeah, they, they have the money they provided. It's, it's great. And I also got out a paper. So it's, it, it was worth for them if, if they're counting the papers. I don't know how they, Mm -hmm. They set the bar, what is worth and what is not worth. But uh, honestly saying, I didn't felt guilty. The, the only thing was, the good thing was that I, I could act a little bit different in regards with my boss. So I, we really had mm -hmm. a hard time together. So sometimes mm -hmm. it was like, you know, we were greeting each other. Then we had a meeting, just the both of us. And then, we kind of both exploded and then there was kind of, oh, yeah, yeah. we didn't talk anything like in two weeks and then it started again, like with a meeting and then it exploded. So I had the feeling because he didn't need to pay me. I was in a better mm -hmm. position. Yeah. Cause otherwise he would Not say, sure. uh, yeah, just, just leave or whatever. And so it was mm -hmm. like, I, I was a, like a free PhD student for him. And mm -hmm, so it was mm -hmm. easier to, Yeah, to, to, yeah to, manage the, to manage the whole situation for me. Yeah, and the conflict, etc. Right. That's true. That's true. And I was in a similar situation. It's okay. interesting. We, I, I didn't know this. I'm learning it. Yeah, from yeah. You now. <laughs> As I said, uh, what I have experienced, most likely all the, the students around me, like 90%, they were all like struggling either with the PI, mm -hmm. either with the projects. Mm 
And I just know really a few, a handful of guys who are really passionate still and, and, you know, became group leaders and everything is cool. And it's great mm -hmm. that they're doing it because they're loving it. But yeah. pff, most people are, I don't know, just frustrated after PhD, it seems. Well, look, I've, I've, you know, all the conversations of most of the conversations I've had on Papa PhD have been with people who, who left academia right. for something else. Uh, sometimes close to academia. Mm -hmm. Also, some are in academia, but are really passionate about training their students for, you know, for, for to be ready for their career. Right. So, uh, I think we need a little bit of everything in life and, and in, exactly. in society. And it's the same thing in, in PhD cohorts, you know, some, some will find that path and follow it and it's, and it's going to work for them. Mm -hmm. For those who, who, for whom it doesn't, what I think, uh, is necessary and i see things happening is that university and programs give them support for that for the the career that's that's not academic that mm. might, that might be after the phd because what ha what's happening is a lot of people are struggling when they finish so right. that last year you're finishing uh, you know experiments or or you know and, and writing etc it takes a lot of your time and, and nervous system and then it's too late to get ready for a career in that last year. And then you get, you get there and you, you feel awkward in, in, um, um, you know, uh, job interviews that are in, in the private sector. Okay. You're, you're not a very a good perceived as a very good candidate by certain industries, et cetera, et cetera. So I do feel that. And a little bit of everything is, is how society works, mm. but for PhDs, and to preclude, to, to prevent this, this type of situation of getting to the end and not knowing exactly what you're going to do, how to value your work and your time, et cetera, et cetera, outside academia, mm. some sort of, 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 of uh, training and, and, uh, and structure is, is needed. And I do see projects happening. I don't know okay. if you're still in touch with the university in, in not, Vienna, not really. but here, here in Montreal, I see, I see th things happening mm. and there's, uh, so that's what I, Keeps me hopeful. At mm. least. <laughs> so, so what I've what I've seen is uh, this was, I guess, in my group. But after after when I finished, so there were some, like, you know, not a project, but people were were working on a project. Like you have a postdoc, and then he or she gets a PhD, and so mm -hmm. the postdoc is like the PI for him or for her, and yeah. they are in direct contact. They do the experiments together, and that's way easier than to just have a PhD on a project where you have to uh yeah find out what's going on and probably the pi even don't know much about these topics because it's it's yeah. it's not his speciality so i thought yeah. most people are just lost or at least i felt a little bit lost yeah and and uh, again it's a thing it's something that that i feel different people need at different levels uh in my case i was the first in my family to go to university to do a bachelor's and then i was the first to go into so to go into a, the phd and so on my in my organic network no one was there to tell me you should uh you should try to you know collaborate with professors you should right. do, do this type of networking I, I had none of that so some sort of mentorship would be good, because yeah. i think what you what you talking about is some students more than others but graduate students at large would gain from having one two three mentors who knows but yeah someone definitely. that's not your supervisor specifically right. 
because with the supervisor, but, uh, you you probably you know have a have a chat once in a week or whatever in a, in a, in a that's it. like a, a meeting. But if you have someone who is teaching you all the techniques, especially in mm -hmm. uh, biology, and and I was doing immunology, so there were a lot of mouse experiments and uh, yeah, like stuff that you don't know if you just come from university. Mm -hmm. Even you mm -hmm. think you know everything <laughs> because you you did all this. <laughs> these experiments in university, but, but in the end, it's totally different. And so this was mm -hmm. striking for me as well. Like I really loved studying molecular biology and I loved the topic, but I didn't really like how it's like, how the real world works in, in terms of being a PhD. Yeah. And then also uh, the lab, <laughs> yeah, the lab and, and we all know, like, if you want to publish and, you know, you have another group who is doing the same things, but they know more uh, of the, the reviewers then you have no chance. And that this happened mm. there as well. So there were people who were working like six years on a project and three or two weeks before they submitted the paper, another paper came out from a different group. And scooped them. And oh scooped my gosh. Them and that's, oh. you know, and then you have to rewrite it and then you have a, a review period and whatever it is. And I mean, that's just, you know, another half year, another year is passing for mm -hmm. a publication that no one needs. Just you as a PhD, you need it, right? But yeah, 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 and then and and yeah, the, this yeah being scooped. Uh, yeah, I remember my my PI I think had had been scooped during I think his postdoc or something. And I remember it was one one of his big preoccupations was to not you know to prevent uh, preclude being scooped at at any cost because it, it's it's really tough. Yeah, yeah, you've and done all the you know all this time is kind of and, to the trash, right? And and the higher the hierarchy, like my boss always wanted to to publish in Nature, I mean, the harder mm. it gets, right? I mean. There of were course. people who needed like six years doing experiments to get a like a nature publication out, a nature immunology. Yeah, and still, just because you're working like six, seven years, it's no guarantee that you get a paper. Yeah, no, so, it's true. Yeah, I, I didn't oh, well, look at the politics, so therefore I thought, okay, that's not for me. <laughs> well, for sure, and, and again, that's why I think also, you know, you can uh, arrive to the PhD with a kind of a let's say romantic idea of what it is because you know you were maybe you did a masters and uh, you know you you found you found it interesting and also you did your bachelors and you you heard all these stories of how this this discovery was made how mm -hmm. we you know this was developed and it's all kind of uh, there's a magic to it right and i right. think that's what attracts us to science and exactly. to, and to discovery what, but, Watson and Creek. Oh my gosh. I love to read the, the biography. Yeah. Yeah. But so, <laughs> but then when you get to the lab and then you do Western blots and they're not working for <laughs> yeah. X times and then you go get this, this, uh, this blessed by God postdoc who any blot that works, that they do it <laughs> right. works. And then you're like, what, <laughs> you know, right. And it's the whole reality of thing, uh, uh, of the lab. And and again, we here we're talking, of course, about uh, biology and and, and mm. science labs and like, but um, uh, it, it's the, the, you only you only know the reality of it once you're in there, and it's normal that part of us in the end find that okay, I, I now right. I tested it, and now I want to do something else. Exactly, <laughs> and I really appreciate those guys who who stick to it because that's that's oh, really that's fundamental work, and it, it has to be done and. Without them, we, we might be screwed in the future. So that's that's yeah. awesome that they're doing it. I just felt, for me personally, that's not what I wanted to do. And so therefore, yeah. it was not easy yeah. uh, to take this decision. As I said, it took me two years of mm -hmm. thinking every day if this is really the uh, the right decision. And as you can imagine, I mean, once you're in this academic field, everyone is like, 
asking if you're totally crazy if you say no i'm leaving and i've become <laughs> a, a photographer you know and everyone yeah. Uh, what yeah was, yeah yeah <laughs> actually that's that's one of the questions i often ask uh people uh, is how was the react you know how did the reaction of people around you uh have an impact on the decision you 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 made right. because it's hard especially your colleagues your peers to see you leave there's kind of a they might feel that you're betraying something or that uh, you know uh, th th there's many things that might right. be difficult to deal with right. even your family i don't right. know uh, right. yeah with my family it was like you said before i, I was the first one in my whole family who, who studied and have a phd so for my my mother it was already wow i have a phd and do whatever you want <laughs> <laughs> I fulfilled this this level already. No, my, my family great. is great, and my parents um, were always like supporting me. Doesn't doesn't matter what I did. Uh, yeah, with the colleagues and my boss. Yeah, I, I mean they were like asking why I'm doing this, and I should think about it. But somehow I felt, or oh, I'm still feeling really strong inside me, and I have this this intuition if if this feeling tells me to do something even though it's it's challenging and i always feared this feeling in the past because it was like man i mean you studied nine years you have this phd mm. now and now you start from scratch something totally different that's crazy mm. uh but all the time when i kind of you know followed this feeling or this intuition it turned out great so mm. i'm i'm really really grateful that i have this intuition and and I, I I walk this path, but yeah, what what I felt honestly saying is like more envy. Like other people say, "Damn, I should do this too. I, I don't mm -hmm. belong here, but I have no clue what I should do." Right? Yeah. I just know academia is not for me. Okay, let's go to a pharma company, even though that's maybe boring as well. Yeah, and some ended up there, but yeah, having the, the yeah having the guts or whatever, and yeah. just to say, okay, I'm doing something different is hard and challenging. It's true that it's hard. You know, you choose this path and in your case, you know, you're the first in your family and in your case, you did find what to do because you had this calling. But uh, if you if you don't, and then you just go for the next best best thing and then maybe you don't like that either because you, the corporate, I don't know, the corporate uh, uh, environment is not for you. Mm -hmm. it's It's unfair. This is why... This is why I, I really, really defend and propose that people, so PhD programs should have people work on like uh, a kind of a, a, a PhD life plan that includes like two or three career right. possibilities after, and then they, they work on it. And so when they finish, they know what, you know, they, they know what they're good at besides mm -hmm. the bench or, or, or research. They know what they, they might thrive in. They may have had conversations with people who work in those domains, so they may have network already. So in the end, saying I'm going to do something else can be an easy thing. And this is what I think is unfair is you go for the highest you know level of degree that you can, and then you kind of dropped off a cliff at the end. Uh, and, yeah. and this is what I want to change. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you don't have a publication out, I mean, you might not even get a PhD. Because there were some discussions like, okay, you need a first author paper ship. Yeah. Otherwise, you don't get it. And then they keep you there and you work another year, right? Yeah. And then it's like, okay, yeah. phew, what should I do? <laughs> so, it's, it's, it's very unfair. And then there's, you know, there's 
mental that affects the mental health of graduate students sure. around the world. And uh, so I, I think again, things are changing, things are moving. Uh, I want to try and do something at least here around me to to help graduate students who might be lost at at, at the moment. But I think some programs have have an inkling of this and are doing things now. Matthias, one thing that I that I felt and that, and that again has come has come up is this connection you have to your gut feeling. And these last two years, there was a lot of introspection, I guess. But I, I want to. I, I just talked about mental health. I want to ask you: Did you, in those two years, have any activity besides the lab that was helping you kind of introspect? Uh, that was helping you uh, stay centered and, and, and you know staying with your eye on the goal of finishing. Was there some strategy that you were that you were putting uh, uh, to action? Good, good question. Um, I had no clue. Uh, I had no clue about meditation. I had no clue about you know self awareness. So what I did is um, not only due to this this shift in my career, but also I broke up with my girlfriend at this time, and I I had no clue why I did it. Right, and so. Luckily, I got her back, and we are now like uh, we will marry in, in February. So we are engaged for six years Super now cool. because the two kids came in between, so no no time for for a wedding. Anyhow, so so what I I wanted to know more about myself, and so I uh, I went to psychotherapy, you know, and this was also something no one ever did in my surrounding. At least no one was talking about. This is so important. I just want to, this is, guys, everyone's, anyone watching or listening, this is a very important point. There's a lot of taboo around mental health and Mm -hmm. going for therapy, uh, you know, seeing a psychiatrist, et cetera, seeing a specialist of what's happening inside your head and and what, you know, difficulties you might be going through. It might just be extreme anxiety, right? Uh, But it can also be depression. I'm super happy that you go into this. Was this during the PhD? Yeah, it was still during the PhD, and um, I wouldn't say this was like the you know the the, the solution for everything because mm-hmm. it was like psychotherapy. It's like they're asking questions, and you're sitting there and you're telling a story to some stranger, which feels somewhat comfortable, uh, and that it's very yeah. good. And and in the end, <laughs> I, I I tried a lot and then, then I go to, to some other guys, you know, and I think what helped the most is, this was funny because this was a, a woman and she had a ball of, of stones in there. And she said, pick 10 stones mm-hmm. and uh, tell me who they are. So they need to be like people that are important for you. And so okay. I picked, picked these 10 stones and I said, yeah, that's my mom, that's my dad, my grandma, my friends, blah, blah, blah. And so I did the 10 and then she said, yeah, but someone is missing. And I was thinking, oh. <laughs> and I was thinking, how should you know? I mean, come on, that's that's hocus pocus or something. And then she said, "Yeah, you were missing." And I was, yes, exactly. I mean, I, I tended yeah. to kind of give up myself in relationships and everything, right? Uh, and then this was always the the same thing. And so I thought, okay, maybe I'm the most important one, not in an egoistic way, but like if I'm not working properly, how can I? give love or how can I be of service or can I, exactly. can I be? Awesome. And so you, <laughs> you, you know, this metaphor from the, from the airplane where they say, okay, when the, um, the, the oxygen is dropping, you get this mask, put on the mask mm-hmm. first, and then you can help others. Yeah. It's yeah, the same, yeah, yeah. same metaphor like in life. So if you're not working properly or you don't take care of yourself, then you can't 
you know, help others or be a great partner or a great dad. And so this really broke a chord with me. And mm. so from there on, it was like, okay, gradually being more aware. And as I said, now I know it was this intuition or my, my gut feeling that told me to, to live this passion, this crazy mm -hmm. passion as a concert photographer. But back then it was, oh man, I don't want to feel this. I don't want to have this feeling because I know exactly I need to change it. I don't want to change because I started so hard for nine years. I mean, I'm, I was like 32 when I, I finished the PhD. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it was like, what should I do now? What got the this feeling? I don't want to have it. But, <laughs> but then I figured out it was always the, the right decision. And it, yeah, it can be challenging. It can be hard. But from my experience, when you have this intuition and you follow it, I think it's the best way to, to, yeah to go through life, even if, if it might be challenging or it might break, you know, um, yeah. the, the norm, the social norm, yeah. whatever it is. I agree. And, and if you're, if you're in a situation where you can't put the finger on what's wrong, going to find help or professional help right. is, it, you know, it can really unblock that, you know, that kind of exactly. uh, situation and open your, vistas to something else and you know the point that you said of taking care of your mental health and of, and of you uh, first so you can then interact uh, give love care for others serve etc it's super super important and uh, yeah and i love the i love the the device you use to get you there it's super super yeah cool. <laughs> yeah so yeah don't don't think about what others are thinking about you just just do it and if it feels okay to seek for help as you said then just do it it's like i know mm -hmm. there's a stigma on it and it's like ah you're ill yeah. when you go psychotherapy or like it's the same that that's um that i experience now with you know being a coach and talking to people uh and and all people have some limiting beliefs and to just be in their own yeah. way and so it's like okay if there's someone who just opens you know a door to another world or to another reality it can change everything yeah Actually, so this was the the next step that I wanted to talk to. So you, COVID came and photography was kind of, you had to stop for sure. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and now you are helping uh, people as a coach. Uh, can you, can you uh, talk a little bit about what that's about? Mm -hmm. Is, does that ha have anything to do with meditation or not? That, right. it's, it's just my, my curiosity. Right, now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in this, this process to find myself again. And to pivot a little bit. And so a couple of years ago, I started to think like, you know, I'm this dad because I want, so I, yeah, I went into photography. I became an international concert photographer and then my daughter was born and I thought, hmm, I'm, I want to be the dad who is it, with her at home. And I don't want to tour with all these guys in the world and, you know, just stay, be a stay at home dad. And so I figured out if I can, do an online business, build an online business and sell a course, how to become a concert photographer, actually in mm -hmm. my way, how I did it, uh, then I can generate passive income and I can be, be at yeah. home. And so this worked out, luckily, um, was, was a great success. And then COVID came. And so I thought, okay, what did I do the last years that I can help people with? So first of all, I'm a dad of two kids. Uh, Noah is two and a half, Mia is five years old. Mm. I'm, uh, I work from home. It's like, okay, everyone is now in home office and it's challenging for a lot of guys, yeah. especially if you have kids. <laughs> and um, in the last years, I really got into this um, 
yeah, the self-development niche, I would say. So how mm-hmm. can I become my be- best version for myself, for my partner, for my family, being it, you know, being, uh, being it mental health, being it, uh, being grounded with meditation, breath work, uh, doing exercises, eating well and all this stuff. And so I figured out that there are a lot of people out there, especially also PhD students. We are all these kind of high performers, right? We need to perform. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs to work longer and work harder. And I can remember, I mean, I was the guy who, who left the lab at like 6 PM and probably I, I in the eyes of my boss, it was the loser because the heroes were the guys who were there at 10 p.m. still, right, doing some experiments. Even though they watched four hours YouTube, <sighs> no one cared. Uh, mm-hmm. So I figured out that all <laughs> that a lot of those guys and one, some of my clients are also CEOs from from uh, bigger companies. They are all like like on the gas pedal all the time. So it's like mm-hmm. working longer, working harder. We need to get more results and. The truth is that's really like the, the straightforward way to burnout. And we all know this mm-hmm, and there mm-hmm. is uh, scientific research on peak performance, most likely from, uh, from sports like pro athletes that you can't just go full in all the time. So you need like resting phases as well. And this is what I found for myself and meditation is one of them. And what I would like to, to help people with is like if they're in this high, uh, you know, high peak or peak performance position and they have the feeling somehow they are burning out. How can I sustainably get great results, but also like on a, on a healthy level and how can I be yeah. the best version? So this is kind of the, let's say working hypothesis I'm, I'm up for and I'm testing. And uh, yeah, right now it's, it's, it's working great. I, uh, I started a coaching uh, course uh, as well. And uh, just to get more information about it, how to professionally doing it. But in the mm-hmm. end, it's, it's more like coaching with mentorship, like what I experienced in the last 10 years. And hopefully I can, yeah, I can help people out with it. So I'm, I'm scrolling here, your, the, your, the URL from your coaching. So people, if someone in this type of position who wants to be able to be grounded and wants to look at it with you, they just go to, to, uh, MatthiasHomebauer.com and, and this link and they'll, uh, they'll get a consultation with you. Is that right, it? right. So you just uh, fill out a form, then I get an email, I get back to you and that's just, you know, a free welcome call just to, to figure out if, if I can, can be of help or service. Okay. That, that's, uh, that's super cool. I'm going to leave it there for a sure. little while. Um, uh, we're reaching the end of the, the interview. I, I want to try in season three to keep it 40 minutes ish. But, uh, if you were able to, you know, send uh, a video message to, uh, Matthias from, you know, at the second year of your PhD or actually, yeah, let's say at the second year, because the first can be crazy. What would that video message say? If I would send a video message to some guys in the, in the second. To yeah. you, to yourself. Uh, to myself. Ah, yeah. yes. Ha, huh, what would I say? Matthias, uh, stay true to yourself. Uh, believe in yourself. Um, you can make it. Uh, sometimes you need to be patient. Sometimes it's challenging. Everyone is struggling. But the most important thing is to listen to yourself and what your body tells you. And then 
go for it. Doesn't matter if it, you know, is is not the norm that you or how you should, uh, uh, yeah, should act. Uh, but I think be true to yourself, and then everything will be fine. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. I think I think it's it, it's good advice. I think often, uh, especially you know, when you're young uh, graduate student, you give a lot of weight to what your PI maybe says, but also mm. maybe family or or your peers might say. And I believe this must be part of your coaching, but just because of you mentioned it so much, this question of being able to to listen to your gut feelings, sometimes to what your body says. Some people can, mm. you know, you can express as like, a, I don't know, a stomachache or or tension or whatever. But to be, to be able to, Get to instead of putting yourself like you were saying in the at the back of the of the room as the last mo- least important person to listen to mm. uh, and there's all these other people in front that supposedly have a, a priority to to say no okay i need to i need to listen to myself and this might include quitting your phd if if it's really not working for you if it's hurting your mental health you know don't be afraid of that of that you know people are have have quit phds and are quitting phds mm-hmm. and have great lives afterward and, and are able to find what they what they love and again phd a phd is made of experiments but it's also an experiment that you're doing on your life you never unless you're doing the sec- a second one which some people do right. also <laughs> you you can't be fully sure that that you're going to thrive in a phd until you get your feet in one and and so I think you did. You do need to stay open. And one thing that that uh, because I also uh, used uh, the, the the mental mental health counseling services where I was here at McGill University, and, and is it is when you start your PhD, look try to look and find all the resources that you are entitled to as a graduate student, mm. and it includes health, physical health, but also mental health, uh, sports facilities, anything that that is offered to you that whenever you finish your degree then you don't have access to anymore and use those they're not the lab they're not your research but they're there because they're important for you and and if you need them you should make use of them uh, it's it's uh, it's something i'm i'm always trying to say to tell students and sometimes especially if again you don't have people around you that have gone through a phd mm-hmm. before you get into a PhD like it's a, a super high-speed train, and then you get out the other end, and you didn't even see the time pass, right. and you didn't, you know, you didn't even uh, um, take advantage of all mm. that you all that you can take advantage during graduate school. Uh, I don't know if you have a comment on that before yeah, we, so, we kind of close the podcast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, what would be a good idea is uh, like it doesn't need to be a mastermind group, but get in touch with people that are, have already a PhD experience, right? You said maybe mm-hmm. they are postdocs or maybe talk to people who dropped out from the PhD program and talk to mm-hmm. them and just get some, you know, some valuable information from guys who were in your position before because that's that's new to you. Like if you're starting your PhD, but it yeah. doesn't mean that no one was there because we all were there. And so if you can get that's some true. some valuable information, so it might get easier for you as well, or at least you know what you can prepare to, right? Because mm-hmm. honestly saying I wasn't prepared just by studying molecular biology, what I get into when I'm doing my PhD. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, what you also said is important. Yeah, it's it's great that you have these facilities and these campuses. I have seen it, uh, UCLA, UCSD. Uh, that's awesome. We in, in Vienna we don't have a, a campus life. So okay. there is the the university. You go there for studying, and that's it. And everyone lives in a flat. You don't okay. have this kind of you know community around you. Mm-hmm. So you need to figure it out by yourself. And so if mm. you have the facilities, for sure, I mean, just just use it. Yeah. And even though it might be hard because depending in which lab you are in biology, the guys at the SOG Institute, you know, we went to a concert and they get, got back to the to the lab at 2 a.m. in the morning and doing some experiments, oh my. which is crazy. Oh, wow. It is so, crazy. <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah, like biology labs are like that. Yeah, I, I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's... I. I had I had to take care of uh, I had mice and rats, so right. you know. Yeah, or, or cell it, culture. It had a lot of, right. uh, cell culture. So yeah, cell culture is hell as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult, you know. When right and uh, anyway, in any case, uh, I, I really appreciated what you just shared, and um, I you. really really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, you. I hope uh, people go to matthiashombauer.com. dot com. I'll I'll put the link in the in the show notes so they can visit. And, right. and learn what you do today. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, Matthias, thank you so much for coming on Papa PhD. Thank and uh, it was a real, real pleasure. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, and if, if someone has any questions, you can reach me on LinkedIn, on Facebook, whatever. LinkedIn might be a good way. Just mm-hmm. uh, drop me a line. So I'm, I'm uh, open to everything and, uh, yeah, like to mm-hmm. help others, for sure. Thank you so well, much, David. It was really a pleasure. Thanks. It's my pleasure. And, and just a little teaser, I am preparing something that that uh, is trying to be a community of PhDs or and PhD students. It's gonna be it's gonna be called the PhD Dojo. Mm. It's gonna start as a segment on the podcast. Nice. But I think what you said about community is really important. Mm. And uh, so yeah, I'm teasing it. And um, let's see if next week in I, this week the French version I think will launch, uh, nice. and uh, next week the English version. So awesome. yeah, I'm excited for that. Too. Yeah, <laughs> check it out. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you Matthias. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.